0: Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 95. This is uh, your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay, and your co-host, Robert Attridge.
1: Good day, everybody.
0: Good day, Robert. Um, I'm actually going to call him Attridge from here on out. Now, the reason I'm going to call him Attridge is because it's probably better than any other option that I have, like Num nuts or Lampwick, or, <laughs> but really the main reason is because of today's panel expert, and, and he needs no introduction, because in his own mind, he's already more popular than Orville Redenbacher, Robert Morley. That's all true, and uh, hello, everybody. Robert, thanks for joining us. So the problem is, as you can see, I got Robert Morley, Robert Attridge, and that's too confusing. So Attridge is Attridge, Morley is Morley, and this isn't new. This actually dates back to, I think, 1997 when Morley came to work with us, with Attridge and I, and ever since then, that's pretty much how we refer to them. Clearly, Morley is the lesser of the two
1: Roberts.
2: Actually, Tom was wrong when he uh, said that I came to work in 1997. As is usual, I actually came there in 1995, and Attridge came after me. So,
0: are you but, serious? Wow!
1: Well, yeah, yeah, he, he, he was there before me. Yeah. Wow.
2: Well It's okay to be wrong, Tom. You, you should get used to it. You're, you're it's pretty typical from from yeah, my history with you. Par
0: par for the course. Mm-hmm. So you came in 95, then Attridge came along later. Gotcha. And then other than aside from like a few years at um, law school, we've pretty much worked together in different capacities, different uh, companies, but uh, always sort of in the same uh, offices. That's right. Since then. Well, so I, but I first met you and I see if I got this right Morley, in 1987, right? You were just a scrappy little 14 year old
2: that's right. That's right. We went to Lake Powell. I remember that trip.
0: Yes. I I drove your you and your brother and J.R. Yes. To Lake Powell. That is correct. Beautiful. Well, today Robert is a principal and founder of Morley Mason, which is a law firm here in Chandler, Arizona. He's also a close friend, a confidant, a former business partner of mine. He's smart, articulate, annoying but kind and kind of a really mean way.
1: Typical attorney.
0: (laughs) Typical attorney. He's a, yes, he is a typical attorney. We're honored to have him on the show today. We really appreciate you taking the time to be with us to talk about employee terminations, which is today's topic. One of my most favorite topics. Yes. Your favorite, one of your favorite things to do, (laughs) terminate people. All right. Well, Let's just dive in and uh, we're going to talk about the maybe some best practices and we've identified. Well, first of all, let me say that that the first of the year is sort of a good time to do some house cleaning and let some people go, not trying to be mean, but a lot of times when you're looking at your prior year expenses, you're looking at your current year budget, And you might need to streamline, you might need to get rid of some uh, people who you knew weren't really going to make it, weren't cut out for the job, but you decided not to terminate them over the holidays because you're a nice person. But typically, this is a kind of a firing season, if you will. And again, I'm not trying to be harsh or mean or insensitive. Terminations aren't fun for anyone, especially the person being let go, but they're just a fact of life and a fact of business and it happens and we're here to tell you a little bit better way maybe to deal with it. I think between the three of us, you know, we've probably let a lot of people go. So we've had a lot of experience in how to go about that and what it boils down to is sort of a four-step process as far as I can tell, which is the following one, is to first make the decision then to prepare for the event conduct the actual termination and then there's some follow up let's talk about making the decision a little bit which is sometimes it's easy sometimes sometimes it's it's not so easy right it, if they're incompetent unre, unreliable disruptive they've stolen from you those obviously those are reasons to let someone go without uh, hesitation other times it's not so clear they might be good people they might be well intended they're just having a hard time in that position and don't have the proper skill set, they're not advancing like they should, and you need to let them go, or you need to replace them. Well, When it comes time to make the decision, you need to kind of gather the facts and assess the situation, because that's going to help you determine how to prepare for the event. So the second step in the process is to prepare for the event. And I've identified basically these nine steps, which is to consider whether there's contracts, Look at the documented file. You know, ask yourself the question, is the employee going to be surprised by this? Think about how you're going to fill the position. When are you going to fill the position? Who's going to actually execute the termination? How are you going to deal with their personal possessions? Is there any company property that you need to get back? Do you have other security issues, network, email, building access, those kinds of things? The next step is to actually conduct the termination. And for that, there's some, a lot of do's, and and don'ts. Getting straight to the point, not apologizing, explaining why, not debating, not reacting to emotions, not offering recommendations, not not saying you're going to help them find find a job. Don't don't uh, say that you feel bad or that you disagree with the decision. Don't blame them. And I know I'm going over these really fast. And you on, know, we'll, we're going to come back, circle back around, and and talk about them. And then you want. And the final step is you want to close the loop in the follow up. Talk to the remaining employees. Make sure that all the post-termination steps are taken for the final check, COBRA notices, task reassignments, email forwarding, contacting vendors or regulatory authorities or anybody else that the individual has contact with, and making sure that you get any company property back. So there, that's a real quick, fast overview. Let's open it up to the discussion then. So... So, yeah,
1: circling back to the first step, first step is, you know, you make the decision. I would think, you know, generally that's, you know, a pretty easy step to accomplish. I mean, you know, you know, when somebody needs to be terminated because they're not performing well or they're just not the right fit for your company, the trickiness, you know, starts to set in in, in steps two through nine, four, four. two through four, Sorry. It's steps,
0: steps two through four. It's the four step termination process. Yeah. But in the preparation for the event, there were these nine different bullet points that are things to to consider. And, you know, no no termination, no two terminations are really the same. And so you've got to be flexible not be set in a specific process
2: yeah one thing that i've i've noticed and have seen a lot of is as you prepare to whether you to make the decision as to whether to keep somebody on or to terminate someone one of the things that always comes up is if you prepare and start thinking about that the great thing that happens is you start realizing all of the things that go with it Uh, if this person how this person is going to react probably uh, what are the things that you need to do to uh, who you need to talk to at the company about it whether or not it's going to be a a termination that is uh, a quiet termination or if if there's going to be if there's going to be a reaction to that termination so as you consider whether or not you're going to terminate someone it starts it kind of starts getting that, motion going of trying to figure out the best way to proceed. Yeah.
0: It flows. It starts to flow right into actual preparation for the event. Yes. And, and some other things to consider are whether there's any extenuating circumstances like where the employee might perceive that termination to be kind of a retaliation. You know, did they have a recent work comp claim? Have they, did they complain recently about any violations of the law by the company or allude to some form of discrimination Right. so when when you're in that decision making process you you want to gather those facts, and then that yeah, you know, just naturally flows into the next step, which is that preparation right
2: yeah and and the preparation part of it is I think the most important part because you try to think of every variable that comes up and cover yourself for that variable. In a way that is going to protect you both from a legal standpoint and from just the 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 perception of your clients potentially, the perception of other employees, the perception of uh, senior management if you're in a mid management position, and so it's it, the ramifications can be huge um, as you do this. So the preparation part of it is is really key.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think like you said, I, it's. You know, probably the most important aspect of it is is making sure that you've covered your your you know your company's liability and and the perception, as you as you put it, um, uh, the perception is big. You know, especially if that employee is dealing with clients. Um, you know, to some extent, they've been the face of your company to that client. So you want to make sure that you know you're you're prepared to handle the communication. Uh, back to your clients in, in the proper manner.
0: And when's the best time to do a termination? Is it Friday? Is it after hours? Is it Monday? Is it midday? Is there a time? Is there a time that's better than, or again, is it specific to the situation and unique to the circumstances?
2: It, it is unique to the circumstances, once again. Uh, you know, I've heard different, different conversations about this and, and when is the best time. I think that on a, on a Friday, it only makes someone's weekend terrible. Um, so for a a Friday, I'm not sure I would, I would always terminate someone on, on Friday as I think that's kind of common where you tell someone on Friday and, and let them go. I don't think there's any, there's any time that's, uh, that's, that's good or, or that's the best. Uh, I think it's a situational question again.
0: Yeah, I do too. I, I used to do, I used to think, you know, Friday afternoon was the best time to do it. And again, all things considered, I would prefer handling them more, you know, early, early in the day, early in the week, because I just look at it from my own perspective. If it were me, that's what I would want to have happen because I would want the rest of the day and the rest of the week to take steps to find a replacement. And you know, Tom, you mentioned something there that I think
2: is really important uh, for anybody who needs to terminate. When you say, I try to take it as though I was the one being terminated, I think that's a good rule of thumb across the board, that if you do things the right way, if you just step back for a minute and say, hey, how would I like this done? It's a, it's a horrible situation, both for the person doing the terminating and for the person being terminated. But if you step back and say, in a bad situation, how would I, do, how would I want this done if I was the one being terminated, I think is a great rule of thumb for people to, to implement.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, who's going to do it? Always have two people present. That's, I must where are you going to do it do it in a neutral place not at the employee's workspace not in your office preferably a, a conference room some other if you don't have a conference room then some some neutral place where you have some privacy and usually that second person is either the office manager HR person and that and that person's there to you know witness the event maybe to take notes and if it is the HR person then to address any benefit issues
2: I think, I think that's a great, uh, that's great advice. The two people is just great. And we see it from a legal perspective. We see it where it's, we can use those people as witnesses uh, and we can kind of make sure that everything is done the right way. I think the, the only exception to that is if there's been a run in with that person that's, that's terminating. I think you need to select someone that's also a, a neutral individual even if that person is the HR manager that's had run in with uh, that employee that's going to be terminated. I think I'd just add that you would want a neutral individual as well as uh, a neutral site.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think if you have, you know, if there's, if there's friction between, you know, maybe a manager and somebody that they're terminating, I think it's good to kind of, you know, attempt to diffuse the situation by having, you know, somebody who's more neutral present.
0: Um. On this particular step, um I hit on one more thing, and then we'll move on to the actual process or the actual conducting of the determination and This is something that again it's situational, but you really need to consider you know what you're going to do, the security issues or the the network access, the email, the building access, and those kinds of things,
2: yeah, and I think. I think some, I've seen where certain employers bend over backwards after someone's terminated to be the good guy, so to speak. Understand, and I think it's important to understand going in that there is going to be a conflict here. So this is, you're not going to get out of this looking like a good guy to that terminated employee. And so I think you really need to understand going in that even if you're a really good person and you want to give this employee the benefit of the doubt and, you know, it's just not working out and you've always had a good relationship with this employee, but for whatever reason you need to terminate them, you need to understand that this is going to be a conflict and that they are probably not going to be happy about this. And so you need to protect yourself accordingly in most cases. And so when you're talking about passwords and and potential data that the, that the company has, or that they have access to, you need to understand that once that termination occurs, you need to forget about being a bad guy and kind of become a protectionist with the with the company's assets and information.
1: Yeah, one of one of the things that that I've always done is I've uh, uh, queued up our uh, network admin prior to the termination, letting them know that you know, hey, we're going to be letting so and so go you know, around this time, be ready. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to give you the heads up to go ahead and, you know, cancel their network passwords, um, you know, shut down their email, uh, so that, you know, after the termination's over, you don't want that employee that comes back to their desk to clean up, to somehow get into the system or start deleting emails or deleting files. Uh, you want to make sure that stuff's getting locked down. Um, I like to have it being locked down while the termination is in progress so that, if by chance that person gets access to their machine as they're cleaning up uh, their personal belongings, that they're not, you know, doing any of that stuff.
0: Let's talk about not providing any kind of recommendation for how to find a new job. Not telling them that you're going to help them. Not saying that you you don't want to be saying that you you feel bad or disagree with the decision, and you definitely don't want to blame them. So there's just some some do's and don'ts. Oh man, I guess most of those are don'ts. Yeah, I've
1: you know after after terminating, uh, I've had, I've had this come up several times uh, with me after terminating an employee. I've had them ask me for you know a reference for a, a potential new new employer. Uh, typically, I I don't uh, engage in that. You, you know, there's a reason you terminated that person, and you don't. You know, you have your own reputation on the line if you're going to be you know, bending the truth or whatever to make that employee, you know, look in a better light than, you know, to help them get another job, you know. Yeah.
0: Recommendations are for people who decided to move to another position, move on, who've left the company of their own free will.
2: Yes, I, I completely agree. And I think you need to be really, really careful with those Um, Jumping back just really quick, Tom, if you don't mind going back to what is said at a termination, there are certain reasons why people are terminated. And if you, if you're going to explain that, I would just give one word of advice. And that is to make sure that they understand that this is not a conversation, that this is not a, a communication between you and them. And you're trying to They're trying to take a position and you're trying to take a position because as you think about it, there is absolutely no good that can come out of having a conversation with someone that you're terminating. So if you are going to give a reason, I would probably start by saying, I'm going to tell you this reason, but there will be absolutely no conversation at all after that. And I know that is really hard, especially for people that are, that you've liked, maybe personally, that are, uh, you know, good people and you feel bad. And, and quite frankly, I think those are the worst and hardest terminations that you can have is when you really like somebody. But for whatever reason, you know, and usually it's, it's a, an issue of the work product or, you know, just the, the, the work itself where you have to terminate someone. And those can be the worst. And so you don't want to get into a long conversation about, well, you did this and didn't do this, because at the end of the day, all you're doing is giving them fodder for a potential claim of whatever. And there's, you know, a hundred things out there that they could uh, that they could file a claim for. And so you just want to try to minimize that at a uh, cost of maybe coming across as rude or short. Uh, But I think that's from a legal standpoint, that's a, that's really good advice.
1: Right. When I, whenever I try to coach my, you know, my managers on, on what to do in a termination, you know, I just, I use the phrase less is more, you know, don't give away too much information. Just say, you know, we've made a business decision, Uh, you know, things aren't working out. Uh, We appreciate your time here. You know, good luck to you in the future. You know, keep it short and sweet. And if, you know, sometimes it does call for a little more information than that. But for the vast majority, you know, I always just try to coach my managers to, you know, follow the the less is more uh, mantra because, like you said, you don't want to get yourself into uh, more trouble than necessary.
2: That's great advice, and I think even the. It's just not working out. I think that's fine. There, there's no question that, especially with employees that aren't doing their job, they either A, know that they're not doing a good job, or B, they're so clueless that really you should have terminated them a long time ago anyway. Because right, right, if right. they're so stupid that they don't even know that they're doing a poor job, you can't even deal with those types of people. So keeping it nebulous, I think, is also a really good plan. It's just not working out instead of getting into particulars because that's really all you owe them.
0: Yeah, and hopefully you've given a good person all of the opportunities to improve their performance before you come to that decision and, you, and you've and you talked to them about making changes or doing something better, or, you know, discussing that with them. So again, it's not a surprise to them absolutely they and know that they haven't been performing up to uh, minimum requirements and so they shouldn't be surprised that that is
2: absolutely correct it's hard enough to find good people uh, and so if you have a good person that's that's working and trying at least boy if you're a business owner and 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 have an employee that's a good person then if you can make them into a good worker you I'd give them every chance to To make sure that they
0: become a good worker. So now that you've let them go, the next step is getting them out the door. And I've heard this referred to kind of as the walk of shame. It's the part where you now have to accompany them back to their workstation and help them gather their belongings and leave the premises.
1: Yeah, and for me, and you know, maybe this is just me, but this is actually a more uncomfortable situation than actually doing the termination.
0: No, definitely, question. it's the you're, hardest kind part. Kind no of question.
1: hovering over that person, while they you know pack up their belongings, you know, making sure they're not taking company
0: property. I mean, you're you're almost treating them with this level of distrust, even if they, you don't distrust them. Is that a double? Can you say that? You can. It just sounds like you're a moron. Just sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, th- that's a hard. That's the hard part, and I've done it several different ways. I mean, I, I it's in cases where somebody who I explicitly uh, trust, I've let them go back and you know collect their things and and uh, make their way out on their own. That's probably the exception. Generally, it's accompanying them, helping them or just watching them, and that's probably the most awkward part and then you know escorting them out the door to make sure that you know they're not trying to log back onto their computer, they're not trying to take something that doesn't belong to them, and they're not trying to engage in conversation with their coworkers along the way out the door, which can be poisonous and and
2: you said it's an exception and and I would just I would just back that up a hundred percent where If you don't do it, you're taking a very big risk. So you better know that person very, very well and have a really good reason why you can trust them to not do any of those things. Because with other employees, they can poison the well and that can have some seriously long-lasting, terrible effects on employee morale uh, if they steal something, that's obviously a problem. I mean, it it should really be the exception, and you should really think about at least monitoring them, even from afar, if that's the if that's the only way you can do it, or that's the yeah. only way you feel comfortable.
0: And I've even I've even taken the opportunity while they were at lunch to gather their things, bring them into the conference room where we're doing the termination, and and then. Catching them right when they come back, where where I know there might be a chance for them to create a scene, and that that's happened a few times.
2: That's a good policy. You know, the other thing that that unfortunately we deal with from time to time is there might be a, a an employee that has a history of uh, combativeness, or even in some situations there I know we've been in, Tom where we were concerned about potential violence. And so you wanna make sure that the people terminating them kind of match up with the people that they're going to be terminating. And most employers know their employees fairly well and they'll have an inkling as to what type of person needs to be there. But in some situations, you may want to have uh, you know someone that can either calm it down or some or be ready to address a a violent situation because
0: that can happen in these types of situations as well. well, once that's happened once they're out the door, then there are a few things I think that you need to attend to to kind of close the loop and and wrap it up. Uh, one of those being conversation with the remaining employees to, you know, maybe reassure them that, uh, and and when you're doing that, when you're talking to them, you want to be sure that you are not discussing the reasons for the termination. You're not engaging in gossip or any kind of uh, vindictive conversation. You don't want your remaining employees to think that, Oh my gosh! You know this is this guy's mean and rude and
1: right. I think I think a lot of times the other employees, you know, generally will know why somebody gets terminated, but it's not it's not your responsibility as a as a manager to say anything. In fact, it's your responsibility as a manager to not say say <laughs> say anything. Um, but yeah, I, I would think in most cases you know if somebody's underperforming the other employees they're not dumb they see that they and if that's the reason for termination i think you know people will know that um but but there always is going to be those situations where somebody is terminated and it takes people by surprise and those are the ones you need to you know make sure you deal with the remaining employees appropriately
2: yeah i think inherently employees understand And if you're a good boss and and you work for a good company, expectations are set that employees understand. And so a lot of times I think a termination can be really good, if handled the proper way, for employee morale to say, hey, you know what? You guys know what the expectations are. If you don't meet these expectations and you're a good person or a hard worker, we'll give you some chances but understand at some point, we have to we have to meet the expectations. And so if I think it's sold as that and the employees understand that, hey, I've got to meet the expectations, it can really be a good thing for employee morale and for being a person that has standards. And you have to meet those standards.
0: Otherwise, uh, you know, we'll move on. Well, there's some other things that need to happen. Uh the task reassignment, you know, the email forwarding, client vendor, other stakeholder notifications. This is something that I see happen a lot where I get a notice, you know, months later that, you know, when I've sent an email to somebody and then you get a notice back saying, Oh, they 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 don't work here any longer, and that doesn't look good. You wanna reach out proactively to anybody that has contact with them and let them know ahead of time and give them their new uh, contact information. I think that's something that people overlook quite often.
2: Yeah, that's really good advice, uh, not only because of just that it doesn't look good, but also in the, in at least in our business as uh, in the law firm, if there's being emails sent to somebody that are time sensitive or that, you know, we, we are not responding, we either lose clients or can be in and have real problems, and so those types of, uh, you know, after termination things, you need to make sure you understand what those are for your unique company, and then address those because those are big deals.
0: Well, to wrap it up, I think we're getting close to running out of time here. to To wrap it up here, are some quick do's and don'ts. So, do have a plan. Do try to be consistent, at least in your process and in your preparation. Uh, you always want to be objective and humane and use a checklist to help you make sure that you're not missing any of the key steps. You don't want to ever terminate someone on the spot. we really didn't talk a a lot about that or at all. You don't want to terminate them when you're angry. There's nothing good. That's going to come from a, a, what is that word I'm looking for? A spontaneous termination, emotional,
1: (laughs) emotional response.
0: Yeah. You you don't, you don't want to do it in public and You don't want to get into a long-winded discussion or a discussion at all, even a short-winded one, get straight to the point. I think that wraps it up. And you know what I didn't do, Robert, which I intended to, is to give you a chance to tell us a little bit more about yourself. I mean, I, I, Atridge and I, did I just say, I said Robert too, Morley. Two strikes. Give you a chance to tell us a little bit about your background because I just jumped, I just skipped kind of you were over you were a lot so of excited
1: about terminations that you couldn't wait. <laughs> I wanted
0: to get right into it. So, Morley, t- tell us a little bit about your professional and if you want something about your personal. Well, we'll, we'll stick with professional on this
2: one cuz I know we're running out of time, but I uh, like I said I've been working with uh, Tom since 1995 and I think Attridge since 1997 if I'm right. Uh, but we started working for a professional employer organization and, uh, I started working just as a claims adjuster and then, uh, moved to the risk manager. Uh, so have a lot of workers compensation background, but also a lot of labor background in that, uh, for a PEO that had thousands and thousands of employees, we would always be dealing with this sort of thing. And, uh, Tom uh Tom was right in the place where as the uh chief operating officer of that company uh he dealt with it uh on a uh, continual basis. I went to law school for 3 years and then came back and workers' compensation and labor law was kind of in the in my wheelhouse and so uh I helped start a a new PEO. We eventually sold out of but uh but that still continues today. And uh started my own law firm in, in nineteen or in two thousand seven, kind of done workers compensation, defense, labor law, general business law, and some personal injury law. So that's a little bit about me in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, thanks. And actually you have some experience in I call it radio or broadcasting, right? You you interned for a firm in DC that had a show that you had a show, uh
2: I, I did a couple of fill-ins uh, in talking about uh, health care. We did some lobbying uh, back in Congress in Washington, D.C. for a, a couple of different bills. And uh, the uh, principal of that law firm had a radio show called Health Law and Politics, uh, Jonathan E. Uh So yeah, filled in a couple of times there as well.
1: Wow, I didn't know you had lobbying in your background. That's... No. Uh...
2: Interesting. Yep. He had <laughs> yep. he had a couple
0: of really great uh, interns during the summer breaks from from law school including a firm here that uh was run by two former uh, insurance commissioners.
2: Yeah, Lowen Childers.
0: Yeah, and worked on some some really interesting cases.
2: Yeah, there's been some uh we can we could tell stories about that for hours. We so. can
0: and you'll be back so we'll have a chance to tell more stories. And in kind of the pre-interview chat, we, we talked about some of the terminations over the years that we've all been in engaged in and, and uh man I, I I sort of wish we had an opportunity to talk about some of those. They've there have been some doozies. Maybe. Yeah, maybe next time. <laughs> maybe next time. All right. Well, we're out of time for today. Robert, thanks again. Morley, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, a couple of things I just wanted to say before we before we say goodbye. Um, starting January 22nd, the not-so-smart um, i9, they call it the smart I- i9, but I call it the not-so-smart i9, uh, needs to be used going forward for new hires. You can check out episode 76 for details about that. And then I also got an email from the Benefit Commerce Group about an IRS scam. It's nothing new. IRS scams have been around a long time, but there seems to be one that's going out. Uh, and around now relative to ACA penalties. And so since that's something new, uh, I thought wanted to give everybody kind of a heads up that uh, you shouldn't reply to those emails. And uh, you don't you don't want to call those numbers. You know, if, if you do get something that you think is legitimate, then look up, you know, the IRS number on their website, irs.gov and, and call that don't don't call the number in the in the email. Uh, but another thing they did note is that they're not aware of any of those ACA penalty notices going out, um, right now anyway. Um, and when you do get them, you'll, you'll get them via mail. That's not how the IRS doesn't, you know, email you penalty notices, just some heads up there. And that does it. That's a wrap everybody. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac. When you say that to me, it just flusters me and I can't move on. I certainly hope that that doesn't get edited out, Tom.
1: <laughs> He'll put it in just for you. I'm going to leave it.
0: I'm going to leave it just because, just, just for you.